So I have been on a vacation, a holiday. Uh, I took a vacation to North Carolina. And one of the things that I really noticed um, was my the cameras that I've been using a lot lately in Florida, where I live. Uh, I didn't use so much when I got on vacation. Okay, so the the cameras that I had been using a whole lot, um, my Holga with the slip mask, and I had made a slip mask for a debonair, and I've been doing tons and tons and tons of stuff with those slip masks. But then when I got to North Carolina, it was like, no, I actually want to take a picture of the thing, as opposed to of the object well okay so with the slip mask because i'm i'm really uh doing a lot of interpretation i'm doing um i'm not it does the subject doesn't matter in other than the subject is like donor shapes to the final object um so have you ever nick ever come across something like that or or let me let me actually ask it a little bit differently um when you go on vacation, does it, do you th- see your photography change? Yes. Uh, and I think what you're describing r- reminds me of basically the urge to shoot like a tourist when you're traveling because everything's unfamiliar and exciting and interesting and you want to take notes and, and grab pieces of it. Back at home where you've shot the same objects over and over and over again, that slit camera was a way to turn that into a travel experience. It was a way to turn your boring, familiar environment into an unfamiliar and interesting and new place. So it was re- it's redundant right. to use it when you're tra- actually traveling in a new place. <laughs> and so there, the tendency is also to use, not just to shoot like a tourist, but to use cameras that are convenient. So it's easy to use so that they're not gonna fill up all your time traveling and all you know all your interactions with other people and all of that you know if you were messing with a a highly technical uh camera like the slit camera where what do you have to take you know 25 or 30 exposures to get one picture right right (laughs) it's a lot of work to, to you know to use up all that time and space when you're traveling so sure sure so i so i get what you mean and then on the other hand when i travel i tend to take too many cameras like a lot of Uh, a lot of us do and it'll get split i'll have a couple real convenient you know usually 35 millimeter uh, film cameras or or digital as well that are easy to just take pictures on you want to bring home a picture of something but i'll usually also bring one or two things that are you know on my kind of list of stuff i need to get more deeply into and try experiments with um But a lot of the cameras that I do that kind of thing with are already pretty good for tourism. They're, you know, I tend to like cameras that are pretty easy to carry around and simple to work with. So it's not it's I'm definitely not doing stuff like the slit exposure uh, when I'm traveling. How about this for too many cameras? I took a full carry on travel suitcase full of photography gear now that included uh, several cameras. It included the film. It included a dark bag. Dark bag. It included my um, dye sublimation uh, Canon selfie printer. 
uh, it <laughs> included, you know, I mean, I took essentially everything that I thought I was going to need and I, and I, you know, I, I don't regret what I took and I, and I don't think that I, um, I, I, I didn't wish for something else. Actually, I wish for two things. One of the, one of the cameras that I took up was the, uh, Fuji XE2 and the only adapter I had was the LTM adapter. And on my M2, the only thing, the only lens that I had was an M-mount lens. <laughs> so uh, I was stuck with a very, very soft 28 millimeter Soviet lens that was horrible. So I couldn't use the ME2 or XE2. Um, uh, so that yeah, was you need a couple new. Problem. You need a couple more adapters. That's the answer. To yeah. That. Get yeah. the in, inexpensive ones. You know, oh no, the, I yeah. I have adapters. I just didn't take them. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so you know, I mean, I thought, oh, I'll take that, and then I'll I'll really use it because I'll I'll have the selfie printer up there. And I took postcard paper and I sent a bunch of people postcards. Nick, did you get the postcard for me? Yeah, my wife was really perplexed. She couldn't believe that anyone was commercially selling such such a. Uh, right, F- right blurry strange I... photograph as opposed to <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay so so, uh, so out of your suitcase of gear what's the percentage by weight that you actually think you used uh 75 or 100 that's, that's pretty good 75 to 100 well 75 to what did i not use? i'm trying to think of what i what I did not use, um, uh, uh, probably about ten percent, maybe. I no, then you—that's perfect. Right, you a, right, a job exactly. Yeah. So, hey, Ethan, what, um, what, what is your experience with that type of thing? The difference between what you do around the house, and, uh, photography-wise, and what you do when you're backpacking in the outback. Sure. Uh, so the way I think about your question is exactly how Nick sort of sort of restated it is that, you know, um, when you are being a tourist somewhere or, or backpacker or seeing something new, often you want to capture that thing. And when you're seeing something old, often you're trying to capture that thing in a different way. Um, and what it made me think of is like, I think of good photography as taking pictures or, or showing somebody something that they haven't seen before or don't see every day. And that right. can be because it's far away or it's taboo to look at or uh, it's a very rare thing. Um, I really love looking at photos and saying, oh, I haven't seen that before. I think that's kind of at the bottom of this whole people yelling and screaming about waterfall photos on the Internet. Um <laughs> And, you know, so at home, I take a lot of uh, pictures of the furthest tree you can see from my street corner to check infinity focus, uh, uh-huh. which all just, you know, I'll, I will check it on the negatives and then toss, toss the roll. Um, but, you know, there are sort of projects that I do at home of repeating themes. I'm really interested in um, sub developments with identical houses, you know, times a thousand and sort of the edges of those developments as they meet the desert. And if I can get, you know, a valley and a mountain in the background for picturesqueness, even uh, in a post-apocalyptic sense, I really uh-huh. like that. And so I, I'll do the same thing over and over. 
but when I'm traveling, either, you know, backpacking or um, like, uh, you know, be, being a tourist somewhere in, in a city, um, I really like to just carry a camera all day and look for something that surprises me. Um, and, and sort of, I think of it as like, like I'm looking for archetypes of things that, that I don't know I'm looking for, but if, if anything, like I chuckle at or think like, Oh, I haven't seen that before. That's, that's uh -huh. usually what I'll wind up taking a picture of. And it's really like when, when I grew up in New York, um, I could walk around all day, probably from pizza shop to dumpling shop, uh, and expect to see. 30 surprises, uh, people doing weird things on the street, you know, mm -hmm. construction or whatever it was. Um, and here in Albuquerque, I'm no longer a pedestrian. I'm, you know, it's a big car city, uh, unfortunately for, for a lot of reasons. And, uh, I really am not surprised all that much in my daily, you know, work life here. I spend right. a lot of time at home doing electronics projects for people. Um, and it's, it's one of like the great, sadnesses uh that that i don't get to take those pictures so often anymore those, those were my favorite but um i i do dig it here in albuquerque I get, I get a lot of things done there's a lot of space but um yeah i i miss i miss being surprised every day and being sort of a always a tourist in my home you know what yeah. can help you know what can help in that kind of place um, and i'm trying to do it more here is is just using a bicycle so you, you, a bicycle can allow you to travel through that sort of automobile world with some facility, but you can stop at a, and take a picture without having to freaking park, you know? Yeah. So, I, yeah. I actually almost lived on my bicycle when I lived in New Orleans about 10 years ago, and I used to keep a Kiev in my backpack, and I would do yeah. just that. Yeah. Those are some of my favorite pictures. Um, I got to Albuquerque, and I had a motorcycle and a few pedal bikes, but... It's really gridded out here. Um, mm -hmm. and traffic yeah. is either you know stop and go, uh, block to block, or um, really really fast on the highway. You know, right. I, I had a little tiny motorcycle. It was a 250 cc Yamaha, and oh no, it was a 175 cc Yamaha. It looked like a circus wow. bear on it. I'm pounds <laughs> on this little bike, which was great. You know, in Wisconsin, you know, driving around Milwaukee. You know, you could drive, I don't know, five, ten miles on Shoreline Drive at 35 miles an hour without having to stop. But here it was really stop and go, and I could never get it fast enough to go on the highway to get out of town. And I'd been in a few Vietnamese motorcycle accidents, and I said, you know, I'm too old for this shit. And mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I yeah. sold my bike and haven't ridden my pedal bike very much since. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's something that I, I really did enjoy. Um, I biked all over New York City when I when I was a kid and so I have uh, a I have a compromise approach for you um, which is what I'm using here because this island's pretty big and city traffic in the Seattle area is pretty bad so my compromise is not the greenest but carry your your bicycle in a vehicle until you get somewhere where you can use it well so yeah. you know there'll be some areas in some neighborhoods where biking is not such a bad idea and just drive there get out get on your bike with your camera and then you can have a little more of that kind of uh you know you get you're more connected to your environment and it's easier to stop and snap basically yeah I, I like that idea i often will carry my bike in in the back of my van but uh for shooting um particularly like if i'm shooting some test shots on a new 
particularly large format camera that's tough to carry around. I like driving around in my convertible. I have a oh nice one, uh, cabriolet, which is like a convertible rabbit, all shaky and rattly. Um, and it, you know, just even just having the top down and being sort of part of the environment encourages me to stop a lot more and um, you know take some pictures. Uh, I like that very much. That that reminds me of a, a friend of my sister's in Boston who shot, I think, for the Globe, and he rode all year round on a motorcycle with a sidecar, and he just had his <laughs> his camera and everything all set up in the sidecar, and yeah. he'd be the first on the scene and just reach down, pick it up, and shoot. You know, <laughs> no looking for parking, no screwing around, and he drove in New England winter on this thing. He was not oh, awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, what do you guys say we start the Homemade Camera Podcast? Let's do it. You're asking why this tiny, fully formed uh, human is appropriate as a name for the camera. And it right. seems so when I look at the camera, as soon as Ethan suggested the, the name, I looked at the camera and I saw that it is a, a tiny, fully formed human. I mean, it looks just like a, a, a little square guy. He's oh, got a big, okay. big round belly and a little little head on top, the viewfinder, <laughs> and he's holding out his left hand kind of like in a friendly fist bump gesture. Oh, I didn't <laughs> see that. I didn't see yeah. that. So, yeah. uh, so, so I'll, it, I'll have to look. And well, like all works of art, you know, it's a self-portrait. So it, this is something that looks <laughs> a little bit a little bit like Ethan, maybe a little bit like me, sort of a little gnome creature, only he's not a little version in, in real life. But we're all little relative to something, right? These are all just <laughs> scale uh, issues. Uh, yeah. So, OK, first, thanks wait, for wait, having wait. me on the. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're not really. <laughs> We're not really going at this point. We haven't started yet, right? Are you, you recording? <laughs> I am. Re- I'm recording, but I. Well, then um, we're going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's editing this, but I'm not chopping anything up. <laughs> okay, go, go, guys. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, first, before I say anything else, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's always great to be on and um you know i i don't know if listeners know at home i i facetime or or talk to graham and nick pretty frequently but almost never get to talk to them at the same time which is a pleasure um yeah okay so the the homunculus name um i put up a a couple pictures on instagram uh of like early prototypes and asked like what should i call this and I got some very sort of technical names and um, my friend Ryan Muir, who is a uh, like a professional photographer in New York, we, we grew up together, uh, RyanMuir.com, suggested homunculus as a name. And I, I really loved it. I thought it was fun and playful along with the, you know, other camerodactyl namings. Um, and it reminds me of uh, freshman year biology in high school, uh, my bio teacher, who is a, a great guy, David Cronin, uh, told us the story of um, <clears throat> back when Van Leeuwenhoek 
uh, was credited with inventing the microscope. Uh, people could see wee beasties at, at the the first time, sort of like little, um, you know, protozoa and amoeba and microscopic organisms. And then somebody was looking at sperm and decided Actually, that they... that was that was Van Loewenhoek himself. He, uh, it, he, it was. he was looking at his own, yes, his own sperm. <laughs> okay, okay. So, and, you know, I, I'm i going to uh, paraphrase the the lesson from David Cronin that, that I remember, you know, 20 years later that I, I will probably never forget, which is that, you know, somebody claimed, and maybe it was Leeuwenhoek himself, that he could see a little man inside the sperm, right? Uh, Sort of driving the sperm, as I imagine, is like a little yellow submarine sort of situation. (laughs) Uh, Uh That's not far off. I mean, yeah, they already had like some very primitive uh, chemistry. And and, um, the idea was like inside that man was like even tinier sperm with even tinier homunculi inside of those sperms. And and so on and so forth until you have like this sort of microscopic um, atom sized homunculus. But because you couldn't get smaller than, you know, some finite, maybe the size of an atom or they certainly didn't have the concept of a quark uh, back then. But but you could only get so small and that there was a crisis that, um, you know, humanity would end at some point because uh, there were no more homunculi inside this Russian stacking doll of homunculi. Uh, and and that the the big crisis was there would be no more people in so many generations. Little did they know uh, we now have the exact opposite problem. <laughs> that's that's fascinating. That's well, that's how you test a so, hypothesis. If it's totally ludicrous, eventually you give up with it. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying is that the homunculus is the camera to end all cameras. No, it's the the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You think it's the camera to end all cameras, but, but uh, it's uh, just the start of way too many cameras. It is a gasifier. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. All right. So why don't you guys talk about it? Why don't you? Why don't you? Uh, uh, so uh, okay. So if you listen, if you listen back to our show, uh, sometime in was it January? Uh, we were doing a show together. All three of us and uh, Nick and Ethan started talking about a camera that Nick wanted. Uh, essentially, it is um, a camera that takes M-Press lenses, uh, Mamaya Press lenses, and uses um, a graph lock back. So. Yeah, the small two and a quarter by three and a quarter size graph lock backs um, because they're more compact. Right. So so this is uh, a camera that started on our show and it is now seen fruition. It started as, as a discussion. So um, uh, so how did that process go? What did what was the uh, uh, how did that go with you guys? I, I think it started even before that show. Nick had been uh, hawking me always about, uh, you know, a camera to and old cameras that that would do everything, which is completely opposite to, you know, how how I like to do things, which is make one camera that does one thing that's, you know, decent. Me trying to figure out a camera that does a lot of things and still works well is is very very hard. Um, I think of like the Mamiya Press system as 
like a great design or, or a great uh, feat of engineering and like a horrible uh, feat of design where, where the Mamiya engineers were like, we're going to do everything. You know, it's going to have a rangefinder. It's going to have a bellows on the back. It'll take all of these lenses. It'll have these weird grips. It'll have eight types of film backs. And it, I mean, that camera really can do just about everything and it is yeah i've had them and and sold them and uh i just thought it was like ergonomically atrocious <laughs> why, well, why i love their lenses and, and cosmetically what as well do on on paper um yeah me me making a camera that could do everything was was not entirely going to happen but um i am as you know like an uh, extreme fan of nick and his crazy ideas and uh you know i eventually just couldn't couldn't say no and said you know like i i will try my best to uh to make this camera you would like but um you know i, I kind of i think i pared down what what the camera can do and, and maybe made it a little bit more streamlined well that's partly the idea though that i was interested in because i have mamiya press camera that has you know the the it has actually it's an early model that has everything it has the bellows and the rangefinder and the graph lock back and yada 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 but and i and actually like using it a lot it grows on you once you you know kind of get over it you just don't it doesn't it isn't a good idea to compare it to a slick modern camera because part of why i like it is that it refuses to be that but it can do all these useful things and i just read this morning uh Hamish Gill talking about the Lomo LCA and how he started out with the kind of distaste, distaste for it as a camera that you're feeling for the Mamiya uh, press camera. And then it somehow it crept slowly crept into his life and he eventually started to really like using it. And the reason he likes it is similar to the way, reason I like these old fashioned cameras that are less helpful. And that's that I find that they push me out of the side the camera you have to just preset it and then point point it and shoot it. And if you learn to use it that way, it frees you up because then you're not sort of lost in the magic world of a SLR viewfinder. You're out in the world and you just get everything set right and then you look for stuff and you point it and push the button. And it gets you more engaged with the subject and less with the camera. So I like that about it um, personally. But anyway, so this is a kind of camera that I already am hooked on and I am interested to see that it's creeping, creeping into your brain too. And you're starting to like the idea as well, because that's how these cameras are They're It's like their awkwardness becomes a, a useful feature once, once you start getting hooked. Anyway, that's part of it. But also this is a much nicer camera to shoot um, than the big, heavy original Mamiya press. It's, the plastic homunculus is much lighter. It's much more compact. So it's very easy to just kind of wave it around and take pictures with it. Um, and it's sort of pure in a way because it's just a box. It's an adapter. It's an mm -hmm. adapter that connects film backs to lenses. And what's good about the Mamiya Press system is that the lenses are bayonet mount. So one box works for a whole range of focal lengths. And that's the way modern cameras are. But it's rare to find a bunch of old Tessar and early lens designs that all fit on the same body with the same flange back distance. That's very unusual. And that's what Mamiya press lenses offer. And I really like the character of these old lenses. 
So in this system, there's a bunch of Tessars, there's a Biogon, there's a, a Planar, and there's another unusual early sonar type lens. So there's these are really interesting lenses that have a great flavor. Uh, and normally to work with lenses like that, you have to find old ones and most of the old ones are normal. So you don't get the wide angles and the, and the long focal lengths. And, you know, that's that's finding all that in one bunch of stuff that you can just click onto the same body is quite unusual. And that's that's what I like so much about these. Um, yeah, I, I, I got to say it's, it's grown on me, too. And, you know, I also, you know, I don't want to compare it necessarily to a Leica, but I, I shoot with an M4 pretty often. And, and I like um, cameras that, again, like like you said, you can sort of just set it and be out in the world. And then, you know, when when you catch something, just pick it up and, and take your shot quick mm-hmm. without, um, you know, manipulating things while you're looking through the viewfinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love the lenses. I think the, the lenses as a camera builder are, you know, kind of a real cheat, but a, a real beautiful one because the, the lenses, you know, include a shutter, an aperture and a focusing helical. So what I had to do was only, you know, maybe three weeks worth of work instead of three months. Um, yeah, exactly. I thought it was originally going to be a few days worth of work. But as these projects go, you know, they, they mm-hmm. start uh, eating, eating my interests and then. Uh, eating my time but um yeah i've really been into it i've started um you know collecting my own set of mumia press lenses and doing some horse trading online i I think i found a couple instagram users who were willing to trade me uh, some mumia press lenses and accessories for uh, camerodactyl og and and this new body and um yeah i'm really into it i'm really into the, the lenses and um I've even started working on another camera. Maybe we'll talk about later that that uses that um, that lens mount. Yeah, and you know the thing that also got me into this was using that uh, the the OG that you sent. So that's the same kind of camera essentially, uh, but it takes four by five backs, and that was all super fun to use. And it, you know, it ties right into the, this style of camera that I really like. Um, and I just basically wanted a medium format version of it. And for me, it might as well be Mamiya Press. But what you've built, you know, obviously you can make different flangeback length versions of it and put different, uh, you know, put your own helical on it for other lenses. So you essentially have also created a medium format version of the OG, which is also going to be, I think, a really useful uh, starting place. And that's part of why this is the homunculus, because many many more versions can grow right out of this original design pretty pretty straightforward i think <laughs> i like how uh, everything i make nick thinks is um like oh this is this is simple you can just adapt it to this you can just adapt it to that the original conversation was can you make me a camerodactyl og that's just smaller uh, that'll take mamiya press lenses and graplock backs and i thought you know I could just uh, take my existing fusion model and, uh, you know, apply a scale to it and be done. Uh, you know, like had, had I thought about it a little bit more. Yeah, there's, isn't there a little tiny man inside? Yeah. <laughs> isn't there a little tiny camera inside the bigger camera? And then yeah. a littler one inside that? Yeah. No, it's, it's certainly <laughs> leading to other things. And certainly now that I have the model for, you know, the breech lock for the, the lens mount and, and the you know, uh, slider lock for the, um, the Graflex or Mamiya backs, 
you know, those, those are semi-standard pieces that I can cut off this model and put on other models or mm -hmm. even uh, cut off and, and make a sort of mounting flange so that I can sell um, Mamiya Press, or sorry, Mamiya RB slash Graphlock back mounts or Mamiya Press lens mounts to other camera builders um, who might build their own bodies. Um, but yeah, I, I think... All, all of these things that, that Nick wants to do with it are totally valid, but I have a fear that all of them will lead to almost complete redesigns of, of new cameras. <laughs> but that's what you would have, that's your fate anyway. So yeah, I mean, I got camera BDs bad. Uh, right. <laughs> that's certainly what I'm going to wind up doing, <laughs> but um, it's, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to just scale them. I think very often, you know, when mm -hmm. I want, another feature uh that feature takes up a certain amount of awkward space in relation to the other uh elements of the camera and, and i just you know wind up going from scratch so like i'm working on this panoramic camera now it shares the lens mount with the uh with the homunculus and it is otherwise 100 percent different models yeah well that's good and this is why I'm calling this the homunculus MP for Mamiya Press, because I expect other homunculi will come along the way. And <laughs> the panorama sounds great. And it's funny because I got into this whole thing because I converted an RB67 back to be a 35 millimeter panoramic format uh, film back. And when I was looking for a good wide angle lens that I could afford, I found the Mamiya Press 50 millimeter. And that's what got this whole thing started for me um so it's funny because it's almost full circle now it's led you to make a really interesting uh panorama back film advance system which we should talk about later um hey have a i've a i've a question about the backs um how wide a back can you put on there uh will it take a six by nine yeah yep okay. which is actually uh what is it 58 by 84 85 millimeters which is the same as uh six by nine graph lock but it's not a true right. six by nine right. yeah 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 because yeah. right. none of those roll film sizes are true right right, right. yeah so but it's, it's wide enough to do uh, a really nice wide panoramic in 35 millimeter so you know that the one i have is 65 millimeters wide and 24 high um, which is almost what almost two frames or more than two frames of a yeah. normal 35 minutes right so yeah yeah no uh two frames would be uh it's 24 uh, it would be 70 mm -hmm. uh, because it's uh 24 by 36 so 72 70. so okay so it's a little yeah. less than two frames but it's similar to the x-pan it's a nice wide kind of cinematic shape right right and it's a lot of information it's surprising when i shoot with that I think of it as being 35 millimeter, but when you actually add up the pixels after you've scanned it, and it's actually quite a big negative, uh, that panoramic right. 35 millimeter. Yeah, there's right. a lot of information there. Yeah. Okay, so I've got a whole list of things about this camera. So what's what happened when when we started on this, uh, when Ethan scheduled some time to work on it, is that I sent him a lens and a set of extension tubes from Mamiya Press so that he'd have some physical objects to test his uh, prints on and also look to check uh, infinity focus and stuff like that. And 
then we had a lot of exchanges on uh you know the uh, talking uh video calls and that kind of thing where we could um look and talk about what we were doing and it it led me to have to buy a a high quality accurate um caliper a digital caliper so i could make accurate measurements from my um, mamiya press camera and you know try and get get the right numbers to ethan and so it was really fun to be directly involved especially because i was in the middle of the sort of peak frenzy of finishing a job <laughs> and normal work and so i was able to kind of enjoy the camera building experience without actually having to do it myself it was really nice actually <laughs> you know just to like talk about it and think about it and you know it, tired in the evening and then and then the next day there'd be a a version of it in the real world that i could see a picture of so it was a lot of fun and most of what my uh involvement in it was just to plead and beg for certain peculiar things like <laughs> yeah. left-handed grip um you know i think that the mamiya press is usually set up with a left-handed grip and i think the lenses are easier to handle with your right hand and that's just my opinion but i've seen a lot of these cameras and they do usually have a left grip I, um, I, so, I think the so that was something I really wanted. Uh, I think yeah. the left grip is a really good idea, especially if you add what uh, the feature that I want, which is on the right side, I want a little holder for a juice box so that <laughs> as I'm out shooting, I can hydrate. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a Florida thing. Yeah, I can yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> it's an Albuquerque thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's something to something to put on the on the future feature list. Oh, definitely. Uh, down the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Graham, you so, can make you can make attachments for this. That's right, I can. True. Uh, so so the grip it, it, you designed the grip so that it you can pull it off one side and, and flip it around and put it on the other side. It's just screws, right? Yeah. So um, process wise, you know, one, it's I. I I mean, I really love you guys. You are uh, the only people who are maybe more uh, like obsessed with camera building than me. Um, and, and you've been like very uh, patient with me in my rebuttal emails. Um, and so it's it was a really fun process to sort of, you know, bug Nick at all hours of the day uh, through email and text. I, uh, Nick is uh, maybe you guys don't know this at home, but um a master of sending me 40 different ideas in 75 different texts, one and, after another to my email instead of in one coherent email. But that okay. was, it was a really fun way to go back and forth uh, as I was working on it. Um, the let, first, let me, yeah. let me tell you guys about my end of that exact same thing. Yeah. Okay. So I'm up in the mountains and where I am in the mountains, it's a Verizon <laughs> kind of area. But I have AT&T as my uh, cell carrier. So we would come down the mountain. I would get to a certain, certain point, and all of a sudden, not only the 70 texts that Nick has sent, but the 23 texts that you replied. Yeah. Uh, so it would be all at once, and it would be just like, okay. I can't, I, I'm, well, I'm I find that there's something about the send button stimulates thought. Like, yes, um, right. <laughs> no, I, I was enjoying it. I, it was just, you know, uh, not necessarily when I was driving down a mountain road. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyway, go on, go on, sorry. Sort of going back and parsing things. And, um, you know, I'm, 
I'm always trying to design cameras that I can repeat and sell sort of uh, at a at a reasonable price. And so I am not a fan of left hand grips whatsoever. I think that's that's a big um, just no matter how good the camera is, if it's left handed, I it drives me crazy to use. And there's plenty of good right handed cameras. And so the original I can, version, I can hear the grinding of southpaw teeth all across yeah. this <laughs> yeah i mean uh, i i get it and i think like i have a lot of left-handed friends but also you know my major control hand is my left hand uh and i think you know when i hold a camera um i like that they're right-handed just because the right hand only has to push the button and hold the camera when you're not using it your left hand is the dexterous one that's uh, adjusting you know shutter speed and focus and aperture and actually, like when I am taking pictures, the palm of my left hand under the lens body or the camera body is what I'm stabilizing it with. And and so I feel like that cameras are really designed for left-handed people. Uh, although um, I guess modern cameras are shifting more of the dial controls and whatnot to the the right hand around the shutter button. But anyway, that's that's sort of just the way I. Yeah, but I, th- I think it's handed. I think it's healthy to mix this stuff up personally. But yeah, yeah. Whatever. So well, while I am happy to make people, uh, you know, uh, custom cameras, uh, I was just thinking like, man, I'm going to sink almost a month's worth of time into this thing, and I'm only going to be able to uh, give one to Nick and sell zero of them because <laughs> buddy's going to want to write him. So I made the first couple of versions with a right-handed grip and, you know, Nick had come up with like a lot of really helpful uh, data and, and sort of analysis of it and, and sort of suggestions as to what I should change about the camera. He was pretty heavily involved in, you know, the the design aspects of the camera. And um, at some point he just like kept bugging for the the left-handed grip and i said okay okay let's let's figure out how i can do this and one of the things that i really wanted to do um was add a lot of hot shoes to the camera uh so you can mount a lot of you know accessory range finders and viewfinders and light meters and juice boxes to the outside of it and um eventually i decided that i would I would honor Nick's request for a left-handed grip, but um, I also wanted to make that grip um, vertically symmetrical or uh, symmetrical about like a horizontal plane through it so that it could be flipped and mounted to both sides. And so I built hot shoes into or cold shoes into either side of the body that are symmetrical. And then I built a symmetrical grip that fits over it and then mounts to the body with uh, two three-eighth inch, you know, standard tripod screws. And so you can just, you know, take it off with a screwdriver with really little fingers and mount it to the other side of the body. And mine is right-handed. Nick's is left-handed. Those are the only two out there. Um, Yeah, that's how that came about. Yeah, I think it's great. And and also provides, uh, you know, another screw mount attachment so whichever Mm. grip you prefer you also have another way to attach things to the other side of the camera and they probably would work fine for you know turning the camera into portrait mode and clamping it to a tripod as well so yes yeah it's a good it's an improvement thanks yeah no i i was really happy with with how it came out um 
you know, I, I don't think the right-handed grip has anything lacking. And I think the left-handed grip is, is equal to it. And yeah, it, it just adds these, um, many more, uh, cold shoe and, uh, tripod socket, uh, attachment points for, you know, later accessories. Yeah, it's great. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk a little bit about the aesthetics of this, uh, because the aesthetics on this camera are a little bit uh, different from uh, many of the cameras that you make. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like if I, you know, I'm uh, this will be released by the time we release this show. Right. This is a uh, July 7th. Yeah, it's on my to-do list. Uh, it, it's ready to go. Um, okay. I to mail Nick his final version and then also set up my home studio to shoot some product images on white. But I'm in the middle of okay. moving right now, so that's... <laughs> it's right, okay. So, yeah, so, and I'm, and I'm trying, to, trying to shoot some photos for you, you know, to use, too. Right. Maybe that'll I save really you some time. That. Yeah. yeah. So go to cameradactyl.com and take a look at this if you're not driving right now yeah. and and take a take a look at the okay so there there's some things that are different like i i uh have sitting on my shelf an og and there are some some parts of this that are a little bit more functionally driven and uh, it's not quite as boxy and square a camera as you normally make. Um, the the grip kind of has a curve to it as it comes out. Am I right on that? I'm, I'm yeah. looking at some pictures from Nick. Well, um, that's largely clearance because some of the yes. lenses, some of the right. lenses on this system. I mean, Mimia Press basically created a. They just take essentially large format lenses mounted in a shutter. And stick them on a helical. And for long lenses, that's a great big long helical. For shorter, wider lenses, it becomes kind of a big, wide, fat thing because they, they're nesting together all these different functions and everything's built kind of big and heavy. Um, so what happens is if the grip is too close, you can't get to the controls of some of the lenses. Right. That's a pro one problem designing for this system is that the lenses are all different. It's as if they they had a team of completely different people designing the right. different components right. well yeah well, so oh, oh yeah here let me let me finish the aesthetics sure. uh part of this so we've got that little curve handle which i i think that curve adds a lot to the aesthetics um the the front panel of it is a um is an image that is or is an image is a uh uh is a shape that is not a uh, a square it's not a rectangle but it's got um rounded parts that kind of break the rectangle edge of either side it has the place um the um strap attachment at the top that i think is is very effective and this has really changed your aesthetics quite a bit now these are all functional things but i want to talk about now it, am i right in saying that the like the body is the main body has to be black because of um opacity Light. right yeah I, I mean i i could do a lot of work on each one sort of painting the inside to get around that but um this is just always going to work and 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not okay. going to offer it in, in other colors. So so one of the things that, um, you know, uh, this is this is, a uh, you know, uh, uh, opinion based, but it's also based on understanding a, a lot of years in in graphic design and graphic design education. Um, one of the things that absolutely drove me nuts about the original camera dactyl four by five was the number of colors, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And the proportion of one color to another color is is a difficult um, difficult thing. So Absolutely. one of the things that I teach, because I have to break this idea, um, if I have students doing a logo, um, and the I tell them that they can have three colors, well, what they're going to do is they're going to use three colors in balance to each other. Meaning that you know the logo will be one third one color, one third another color, one third uh, uh, the third color. So uh, and then or if they have two colors, they you know it's the same, it's fifty fifty split. Well, one of the things that I found in my time and uh, it is that there is a really nice balance when you're eighty percent one color, yeah, and then. Uh, you have two more pieces and in this one, well, this is actually maybe 70% black and then you have gray that's maybe about 12% and then you have an accent color. Mm -hmm. Um, so right now the, the grip is gray and you have the accent color. This makes a much more pleasingly, uh, aesthetic color to my, to my palette there. There are, uh, you know, I've seen people out there with the Barbie uh, camera dactyl four by fives that, you know, the original ones, you know, that are that, you know, uh, I mean, I, I understand I understand the appeal of that as well. But I'm also going back to more con conservative, high, uh, high volume kind of sales kind of thing. This, I think, is an incredibly good balance because what you're getting is black that's a neutral and it's the dominant and it also matches the backs, excuse me, the backs and the helicals and most of the accessories. Then the other main color, the gray, matches the silver and the, you know, the other parts of those accessories. So we get a nice harmony there. But mm -hmm. then we've got those, you know, the, the um, this is a term that drives me crazy. You get the pop of color as opposed to it all being color, you know, um, and that pop of color uh, really actually means a, an area of contrasting color. So um, uh, that's a nice color. that's a nice double entendre, though, because there's also the sense of pop and popular and, pop and popular. And, and I think it the, I think it works in both ways. Bowl, right. right. You know? <laughs> uh, so. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's something about that. OK, that's it. It's not the homunculus anymore. It's the camera dactyl pop. Um, so no, that's going to be the pocket size 35 millimeter one. In, and it's, it's a also, little. <laughs> it, it, it's also the kind of uh, the kind of camera that your pop would use. There we go. So one more. Um, but but here's there, there's something really nice about this. You um uh, Ethan, you just sent off to to James. I think James in uh, in Scotland, right? James J R Images. Oh no, no Simon. Uh, Simon. Simon Rudell. 
right. of the what? Danger Boys. Yeah, why did I say James is the other guy, right? Okay. So um the so uh yeah, off assignment, SR images, right? Isn't that yeah. what it is? Yeah, yeah. My his, God. Uh, the other J- Danger Boy is uh uh David Allen, who's in, David in Allen. France, why but the, he's an American. I think there's the a JR images as well, who I don't know, but yeah, okay, Simon's yeah. great. He's, okay. <laughs> he's so super Simon, funny. So Simon got this one and as he as he called it, Kawasaki Green. And that's what he ordered. Yeah. <laughs> And it but oh my god that looked great. Now he also got a bunch of the um, you know of the the quality dots. Uh, the I can't the wait to see what he sticks them on. Oh my god! But don't put them on that camera. Uh, keep the green. <laughs> keep the green and black. But it, but but what I'm trying to say is that's the same kind of aesthetic that you've got going on with this. Now you know let people order what they want to order. Um, I uh, think. I think people should get one of each color. I think that that's absolutely, absolutely. But, uh, but I'm, uh, I, I just want to, from an aesthetic standpoint, this is, uh, I, I think it's a step up on, um, the, on the OG and I love the OG, you know, uh, I was shooting with the OG in, um, in North Carolina when it's gone. Um, but there's something really nice about this set of aesthetics. There's something else that's going on that was partly driven by the um, uh, the nature of the Mamiya press lenses, which is that it's a small camera, relatively for medium format, it's a relatively small camera with really big parts, and that's part of the little man feeling totally. of it is that you know that it has this giant breech lock, which is almost the full size of the camera itself, and that gives it this sort of big huge eye on a little chunky body and that that scale uh kind of what is the word it's like a um an unbalanced scale uh thing within the camera is it's very appealing and it has a lot to do with handling it as well uh it it feels like a light and and maneuverable camera but it's actually pretty sizable which is it has to be in order to handle these big film backs and chunky lenses so yeah, so I um, a lot of those things are purely function, right? So the original uh, camera dactyl field camera, um, you know, Graham was talking about colors, and um, I let people just choose, and there were so many parts in that camera, you know, over 70 parts uh, that people chose 12 different colors. And a few people kept it to three colors uh, or less. And I think those cameras wound up looking great. A few people chose 12 different colors. And those cameras, I think, were pretty ugly in a in a really fun way that I, I love being able to do sure. that for people, uh, even though that was not my design aesthetic. And, you know, I, I did the, the math and there were over a billion possibilities and so i wasn't going to see <laughs> print a billion of them or even photoshop a billion of them for all the possible combinations and you know sure. printing 30 or 40 of those original ones really um you know again i picked colors at random for my camera based on what filament was cheap while i was prototyping that one and it really gave me a good sense of like what works and what doesn't and yeah uh, three colors are great when it's something like you know, 80%, 15%, and 5% when you have, you know, a main color, um, you know, a secondary color and an accent. And if all of those happen to be, 
you know, uh, 120 degrees apart on the color wheel, great. Or if one is black and the other are, you know, 180 degrees right. apart on the color wheel. Those or are things that I, or, yeah, 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 right. I, I did not have the language and training for, I, I am not a, you know, product designer or, or sort of graphic designer by, by trade or any stretch of the imagination. But, um, yeah, I, I learned that, um, you know, just keep, keeping it simple generally looked better. That being said, that is not what led uh, the Camerodactyl OG or or the new uh, homunculus uh, to look like that. Um, it sort of came from a desire to build simple and tough cameras with as few pieces as possible, which is, right. you know, I first priority is to make it work well. Second priority is, is sort of to decrease the part count for, you know, long-term reliability. But um, yeah, so my uh, homunculus that's sitting on my desk right now has where, where Nick's has gray, mine is a dark blue handle and inner uh, breech lock. Uh, uh-huh. and then it's hot pink, uh, for the back. And the lens <laughs> right. Mask. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'll still offer them in, in a lot of different colors. Um, I have one, uh, going out on a, on a trade for a lens that's, um, red handle lens mount and, uh, locking tabs for the back and then a, a black inner ring. Uh, and I think that's, oh, that's yeah, yeah. slick look. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, there's not that many pieces in this camera. A lot of them are very complex shapes. Uh, you know, uh-huh. they might have over a hundred facets on on some of the pieces, on a couple of the pieces actually. Uh, but in that, they're one single, very long to print print. Um, you know, it, it just keeps the color count down. I think there's one, two, three, four, five. There's six pieces in this whole camera. Uh, wow. Body. Okay. So that's, that's you know, great. I can, I could theoretically make six different colors, but uh, and may, maybe I, I probably will, to be honest. But I think the ones that are <laughs> two or three colors uh, probably will wind up looking the best. And then I was surprised that you uh, were uh, were noting that that it was less boxy than than previous aesthetics. Uh-huh. I actually think of it as more boxy than other cameras, right? So particularly the OG has a lot of um, round elements, that the nose cone, right. the focusing ring, and the helical. Um, and originally when, when designing this camera, just talking with Nick, I sort of imagined, um, because I didn't have any M-Press lenses on hand, sort of the same type of thing, right? Without a helical, but, you know, a, a back and a, a nose cone that went to um, the breech lock. But um, like Nick said, these these cameras have such a wide uh, diameter uh, lens mount um, that that dictated the lens mount, right? I, I couldn't change the size of it and still be able to use a Mamiya Press lens. Yeah, it takes like, up almost the whole camera. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that was because I wanted to get the camera, you know, as small as possible and still be durable and, and fit the things. Um, and then the Graflex or Mamiya RB backs are also not tiny. And so what it wound up being is where I had envisioned more of a cone, it's, the, the body is basically just a block with some things that I've added to it. Um, uh-huh. And then, you know, I have broken it up. I, I like chamfered edges, both for 
you know, uh, production uh, reasons and also aesthetics. Uh, and just, you know, I don't like sharp edges on my hands. Um, sure. But I added strap lugs this time around because I, I feel like it's a real carry around with your camera. And I finally figured out how to do that in a really super strong way. Um, and that, that curved grip um, is only like the first couple of grips that I made that were only right-handed. Um, and even I think the first ambidextrous grip was pretty straight and, and very, very similar to the original Camerodactyl OG grip. Um, uh-huh. Because Nick had sent me the 75 millimeter lens, which is a big beast and kind of sticks out way farther. Uh, but then once Nick was looking at it with his set of lenses, I think that the 50 was was the big issue is that, you know, that original grip was going to interfere with uh, either focusing or, or even maybe stick into the picture a little bit. And so I had to push that grip out and I didn't want to like have a stick and a grip sticking out. And so I, I made this sort of uh, nicely curved grip that still fits your hand pretty well, um, but, you know, comes way outside of the, the lens mount. So you can still use the focusing tabs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I see all that as as you're doing it. Um, I I let's um let's step uh, a little bit into uh, the difference between the OG and the homunculus. Um, with uh, you know what from a production standpoint, um, is you know, because the the OG has the helical. That has what is it? Six parts, seven parts. Um, the helical, including the nose cone, has five parts and eight screws. Okay. So, but but this has that breech lock on there, um, and so uh, the difference in production. Um, uh, you know, we talk a lot about designing uh, for birthing the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is how are they different um, when you, uh, you know, when, when they're they're uh, you know, how are they different in how they print and how are they different in, um, uh, in how they are put in together? how they shoot or no, not in how they shoot, uh, but in, in the how they're putting process. together in, in production. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've been getting much better at, um, simplifying things for assembly. Um, the original field camera, I was not very good at printing. I was very good at CAD. And so I designed this camera in CAD that had like 70 something pieces and, um, had no respect for flat surfaces to be printed onto the print bed or, uh, rounded corners. And some of that I learned in the, you know, three months that I was developing that camera. Um, but, yeah, I, I've gotten better at it, right? And so um, in that camera, I had maybe 40% of the plastic that I printed had to be trimmed out, which is wasteful and, and not great for the ocean or, or the landfill here in Albuquerque. Or right. you know, I've, I've been trying to use some of it for extruder experiments. But that's another story. Um, but mostly it, it took an hour and a half to trim those cameras just to trim uh-huh. the parts off with a knife. Like I was oyster shucking. Um, and so when I can avoid it now, I try and build surfaces that don't need, um, you know, don't have overhangs that would need printer support. And so this body has, I don't know if you, 
um, I think I talked to Nick about it inside the, uh, I don't want to call it a mirror box, but inside the body between the lens and the film bank, there are some very complex shapes. And some of those shapes are just, you know, dictated by the lens in the back. And some of those shapes are actually dictated, uh, not necessarily as, as um, anti-reflective light surfaces, which they are, but um, just, those are the angles that I can print without support. And so right, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm able to make this much easier. There's still a bunch of stuff that needs some trimming and, you know, handwork to adjust, uh, particularly around the lens mount. But, um, yeah, it's, it's become much simpler to uh, assemble, which is good. That'll, you know, it's, it's still a lot of very uh, time-intensive printing. Um, uh-huh. And then, you know, chances for... Uh, misprints that I got to throw away and, and time to check and adjust the flange distance. But um, yeah, I think I'll be able to offer the camera much cheaper just because there's maybe, you know, a, a significant uh, decrease in, in my assembly time. Okay. I'm, I'm looking in the back of the camera right now with a uh, 65 millimeter lens mounted. And I noticed that you left plenty of room that if, if one were ever to make an accessory coupled rangefinder for this camera, it mm-hmm. would be very, very straightforward. There's plenty of clearance. And the, the design of the uh, rangefinder cam on these lenses is really elegant, at least on this particular lens. There's a, you know, a very subtle ramp that wraps around the outer circumference of the helical. And as you focus, it's you know going left to right, right to left. It's, it's making a camming action against uh, a lever that, is connected to a rangefinder, but what they did is they put long slots in this cam with two set screws so that you can slide it back and forth to make fine adjustments. So you can you can adjust the lens to match the rangefinder. Um, they call it columnating and you know in the fancy setup, but it's just a very simple. You just need a screwdriver and patience, and you could adjust this to be you know as accurate as you want it to be. So I, I've actually been working a little bit on a rangefinder. I broke my uh, Prazia accessory rangefinder uh, trying to take it apart. But when I broke it, I saw how simple the inner workings were. And so I started designing one, which, again, works in CAD, but I haven't gotten to work in real life yet. And that's a back burner project. But you'll notice inside the homunculus, um, there's that little uh, lip ring Um at the back of the lens mount to prevent light leaks. We did not have that in one of the original versions, and I got a couple leaks. Uh, but that ring has a slot cut into it right at the very top um, of the the circle, and oh. that's under one of the flange mounting tabs. Um, so it won't leak light there because of the way the lenses are. But that slot is purely there uh, to later add a, a range finder cam follower finger. Yeah, uh, I see it. You know, I think I might be years, if never, away from being able to 3D print um, a rangefinder. So I, I actually 3D printed a um, uncoupled rangefinder, um, but you know, the the range of the the focusing mirror goes from you know, it, it's a range of something like two and a half degrees over a pretty large rangefinder from infinity to one meter and just the, the tolerances and smoothness of the plastic that I can print, um, kind of as you focus it, it goes 
back and forth. It goes into retrograde sometimes because of some bumps in the cam. And so I may be able to fix it with like printing a very thick part and sanding it very precisely or um, changing the cam and cam follower out for some metal parts once I have this CNC mill running. Or or, or is, is that something, or, or could you use something like Lucite and... Um... Uh, and cut it, and uh, sure. I know Lucite's not the right material. I bet, I bet you yeah. could. Well, of course you could make parts out of different materials, and that's probably the answer. But here's another thing you can do: you could probably design a lever to operate a CalArt rangefinder, the classic press camera rangefinders, mm-hmm. and just mount it right on there. And just you just have to figure the lever out. Yeah, I mean that's that is true, uh, but I I think I would like to make a uncoupled rangefinder eventually. That's maybe uh, project, uh, a project that's seven projects down in my list, but I've got, you know, two prototypes that are sitting in a box now. Well, of course, of uh, course you want to do that. I, I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, and it will be a really interesting addition to this camera, but it, I'm using mine with a uncoupled rangefinder now, and that works fine, you know, and I, I don't have any issue with that. And also stopping down a little is all you need to do to, estimate focus pretty accurately if you train yourself that's really not that hard and it kind of frees you up because it's one less thing to stare at while you're getting ready to take a picture you know yeah, <clears> you just set, you set like it and shoot mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i'm really enjoying uh, using it the way it is and there is also the ground glass because that's one of the great things about these classic press cameras and i think of this as a press camera still is that you have on the one hand, it's set up for fast shooting, just set and forget and point and shoot. But then if you really want to be fussy, you can go all the way the other way, put ground glass on the back, you know, get underneath the hood and, and be as fussy as you want. Um, we haven't yet talked about price. Uh, so what are you thinking um, on the price on this thing? Uh, what what is it uh, what's it gonna take to get uh, one of these beautiful little machines? Would you buy this camera for $995 and three just, easy payments? Now uh, hold on. <laughs> if you order in the next 22 minutes, we'll send you a second one. Just pay sh- uh, separate shipping and handling. That's the that's the deal I want. Yeah, I need a QVC commercial for the three people who are uh, still shooting film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think I can sell them for 120 or 125 dollars. I really did my best to like pare this down uh, in terms of number of pieces and mostly like to get it to come off the printers as close to fully adjusted and, and not terribly hard to assemble as possible, which yeah. really gets the labor down. And, you know, I, I think for 120, 125 bucks, uh, a lot of people will, will buy them and use the hell out of them. And, uh, yeah. that would be great. So, so they need a lens. What are the, what are the uh, different, I mean, I'm looking through and Nick has given me a list of uh, about nine different, lenses there's 10 
10 different lenses. See, about nine. I was <laughs> I was spot on with that. That's that works for me. Uh, so 10 different lenses. Um, you know, what's a normal on this? So uh, if you're shooting six by nine, a hundred. It's going to be slightly wide, right? Well, actually, it's it's the equivalent of 43. So it's a perfect normal. Perfect. There we go. So what what do those things go for these days? I was just trying to figure out what a full kit would be. Well, 103.5 is the, the less expensive of the two, and it's a great little lens. And that those are pretty easy to find for under $100, yeah. you know, $70, $80, something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I bought um, one with shipping from Japan for like $78, which was right. a deal. But, yeah, it's a, it's a great lens. And that's, and that's part of the point of this camera is that there are 10 different lenses you can get for it that will just go right on without adapting. And then of and, course it wouldn't be hard to make an adapter for other lenses. It <laughs> wouldn't um, be hard. I'm not saying for yeah. you to do it, but <laughs> I'm already doing it because yeah. they're, they're one of the other striking things about uh, Mamiya press is they made this gigantic set of uh, extension tubes for the, for the thing. And if you get hold of one of those, you can get the one that clicks in, it's meant to click into the camera. It's and it's short, and it, w- it really wouldn't be hard to glue any old, you know, mount uh, helical or something onto that. Um, and and there there you go. There's an adapter that will take some sort of lens board sure. and you use large format lenses that have a shutter. So for anything with a long enough focal length uh, to use that adapter, and I'm I'm interested in a couple of longer lenses and not necessarily in using the uh, the uh, Mamiya Press version. So, you know, so but from Mamiya Press, the things that are out there and one of the great things about this is really, if you consider it has a helical, it has a shutter uh, and aperture and glass all together in one that that does make it uh, quite economical uh, together. But they go from 50 millimeters to about 250. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, th- I think like the real deals are the 65, the 90 and the 100. I did some horse trading for a, a 90 millimeter that's in a semi working shutter. I, I really one of my favorite lenses ever is the 90 millimeter 3.5 for the Mamiya RB, which I almost uh-huh. never use because, you know, at infinity, it's almost 100 millimeters away from the the film back, which makes the RB really big and right. heavy and annoying to carry around. But for right. a studio or, you know, just shooting a portrait of my friends in their backyard type of thing, I, I really love that lens. And I'm hoping the um, 93.5 for the uh, Mamiya Press is, is a similar design. Well, it's a Tessar, it, but it's a really nice one. And in fact, the 103.5, which is also a Tessar, has been described as the best Tessar ever made. So. Right. That's if the you one like that, if you like that kind of lens, these are good good examples of them. And uh, the 90 is also very small. I have one. Uh, yeah. I got it really cheap because the helical was destroyed, so I can't use it on this camera. But I've used it on a mounted on a, a little uh, pacemaker board on a on a crown graphic and a Sentry graphic. So I know it's a good lens, um, and it's very small. So it's nothing like your giant you know, SLR monster that you've used in the past. Um, but yeah. You could, yeah. And, and that I love 90 as well in this medium format range. The, the super angulon is the one I'm used to using, but it, uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful lens. And it's a good focal length, just a little bit wider than normal. So you just get that bit of extra. Uh, 
in the shot, but it's sort of the do everything lens. It's great. Yeah. Right. And I I, um, I don't really like longer focal length lenses. I think a 127 is the longest I would ever use um, on this type of camera. But they've also got a 65, which I bought one. It wasn't working. I got to return it today, uh, buy a new one or horse trade for a new one, uh, which is a 65, 6.3 or 6.8, but you can delimit it and go to F4, uh, which might not be super great for shooting um, bright lights at night. I think you might get some internal reflection in that lens at F4, but um, I'm really interested in, in doing that. And it's a really tiny lens that I, I like. It's, it's very small and um, it's pretty cheap. I think I bought the one that doesn't work for 85 bucks um, and I'll maybe find another one for around 100 that does work. Yeah, I, mine was around 100 and it's great. It's in perfect condition and the yeah. shutter's accurate. That's another thing about these lenses is they're they're a little big and heavy, but that's because they're built like a tank. They're yeah. so solid and they're, you know, 50, 60 years old and they still work fine, you know. Yeah, and the, mine. <laughs> the, well, yeah, but um, the shutters are pretty impressive too for their age. Like mm -hmm. they might be a little slow, but several of mine are dead on perfectly accurate. Uh, at all speeds and you know that's impressive for something that old uh yeah they're well made and they're made by you know seikosha they're they're seiko they're really yeah. solid pieces of uh machining so yeah, one of one of these days oh. i'll buy a 50 i think those are a little bit more expensive but i think um really very wide on on this format and super duper sharp it's, it's a, a biogon. yeah yeah it's a biogon design and it's it's uh field of use about like a 21 uh, millimeters so that's a good real wide angle and that's what really got me started on all this was it's not that easy to find a really high quality ultra wide angle lens that you can just stick on a medium format camera there aren't that many choices and uh, this is a good one and uh, backs look like they're in the 50 to 100 dollar range for an rb67 back uh, but there are also some uh, singer made graph lock backs that uh come up uh a little bit cheaper uh yeah, i mean sometimes you can get a beat up but working rb back for as little as like 35 bucks with shipping right yeah. right yeah and they're so, and they're they're really good too they're well made and they work well so you're in it um for 250 or so um and uh and i think that you know that's um uh, yeah, that's pretty decent. One of the things that uh, I'm, I'm thinking about as I look at this now, uh, I want to let everybody know I'm I've been watching the development and I've been chiming in with, you know, important uh, information like it needs a juice box holder. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, the the thing about it is um, I keep seeing. You know, I keep thinking about how light that thing's going to be because I've been, uh, you know, uh, I've been shooting the OG and that's, you know, this is this is where this is a killer design is is in how light it's going to be because everything else in its range. You talked about the RB67, the RB67, uh, that was the camera that got me back into film in 2013 and. I, you know, because I, I lusted after it for 25 years, <laughs> you know, and finally when it was 150 bucks, I bought one. 
Um, but it, it's a freaking unusable camera anywhere but the studio. Yeah. Um, and you know, or if you, if you re or it's a drive around and take it out of your car, uh, kind of camera, but, but this is, I, I think a little bit more of a hiking camera. This is a little bit more of have it everywhere camera kind of, kind of thing. Sure. Uh, it, it, have you weighed it? Do you know what the weight is on it? Yeah. So, so fully outfitted with kind of the, the average setup. It seems to me it comes in around three pounds. So that's okay. with film, film back, lens, everything else. So it's sort of like a big chunky Nikon from the old old days in yeah. weight. Um, and that the only yeah. things that but are competitive and six exactly, times the size. Yeah, the yeah. only cameras that are in that sort of weight range uh, with that size negative are the giant Fuji uh texas rangefinders yeah, and right. maybe the mamiya you know seven but those things well uh for the fuji you're going to pay twice what this costs at, at yeah. least yeah. and you you are going to be for most most of their models you're going to have uh, just one lens choice or right. maybe or you'll have to buy a whole other camera to get their and wide angle lens. all and, in black and then the and then the other the other thing the, and then you get to the Mamiya uh, you know the the most advanced Mamiya uh, for, uh, rangefinders um, the seven and the six those things are really expensive and and also I think somewhat delicate and, and yeah. certainly for the money you would want to be careful with it whereas this thing you can kick it down the stairs you know it might hurt the lens maybe <laughs> but yeah. then you can just put another lens on and you're back in business so. For for the point of view of backcountry use, there's a lot to be said for all mechanical camera, and bringing a second lens makes it almost fully redundant because if yeah. anything goes bad, you just put a different lens on and you've re you've replaced almost all the moving parts on the camera just in that way. Well, and and a thing. second back too. Um, well, that would be for like if you're going yeah if you're going into the you know real real backcountry for weeks yeah. and weeks, then yeah, have a second back and you're you're fully redundant. So yeah. yeah. So guys, um, what else are you looking at? What what else have you been been designing, do, doing all that type of stuff? Ethan, what do you what have you been uh, doing? Um, so uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, preparing to move and, and finding a new house to rent. Our, our landlord is selling their house finally, uh, which is sad for me, but uh, good for them. We, we found a new place with a a big old uh, garage studio that I hope to be able to, you know, make some more things quicker. And fill with jeans. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get rid of those jeans. Oh, man. Um, so I've, I've been pretty occupied with that. When I get off the phone with you guys, I need to sit down for a day or two and make a uh, bath pasteurizer temperature controller and a data logger for a friend's brewery. Um, oh. I'm sort of just been like a little overwhelmed with those things, but um, I've been working on this. This came out of the uh, homunculus and, and Nick's project. Um, I have a friend, his name's Eric Bronco. You can probably see him at ericbronco.com, uh, B-R-A-N-C-O. And he is like a up and coming now sort of famous uh, DP. He, um, he worked on this movie called Clemency, which won Sundance uh, this year. And so he had the opportunity 
to shoot another movie uh, this summer and fall in uh, on film, uh, which is amazing because you know I've known Eric since we were twelve or thirteen years old. We've been you know very good friends. We lived across the street in the Bronx together. He's, he's like family, and um, it's been really nice to see his successes. Anyway, I was just finishing like the last uh, the production prototypes for Nick of the homunculus. And, um, I was talking to Eric and he was really like, he, he comes to me sometimes with, uh, questions about, you know, uh, film, uh, stills photography equipment. Right. And he was looking for a camera to shoot some cinestill film that matches the emulsion that he's shooting this movie on and, um, really wanted a panoramic camera, but, you know, the, the answer right now is like an X-Pan for almost $4,000, which is a pretty delicate camera, right? The electronics can go and then you got a brick right. um, or a Mamiya 7 or 7.2 or even maybe a 6. But those are also, you know, at least $1,000 deep. Right. Well, so he didn't want a wide lux because of the, the swinging lens or a Noblex or anything like that. Um, and it sort of limits your lens choices and... Um, yeah, the, the Mamiya's are equally fragile, beautiful cameras. I have a Mamiya 7.2, but it almost never sees the light of day because I tend to beat on things, and that just it, it is not sturdy like like I like things to be. Um, and so I suggested that you know I mail him a homunculus, and he just buy a couple 220 RB backs, and uh, you know use those for panorama. Um, he really did not like the idea of having to unload his film in a dark bag. Um, and so we did some experiments using a, uh, like a empty 35 millimeter film can as the take up spool, which, you know, you would lose the last frame because you can't rewind, but at least he would be able to just the geometry of, of that back. It, it would jam pretty frequently and that was no good. And he didn't want to have to you know, wind onto a 120 reel and then take it out in a dark bag on set or while he was doing something else. And so, you know, he was really like, uh, while the front half of that, the homunculus would work for him, the back half really wouldn't. And um, I kind of couldn't help myself. I I enjoy designing cameras for other people, um, not necessarily my dream camera, but, but, you know, around some constraints given by a friend, like, I mean, the, the homunculus is a perfect example. Uh, Nick really drove what that thing did. Um, the OG was driven pretty heavily by, um, oh, uh, uh, Matthew Joseph, who's uh, photo dudens, <laughs> um, who really wanted that camera for an ultra wide lens. And anyway, so I, I, I got into using the homunculus front breech lock mount, which is, you know, takes a Mamiya press lens because that, that has lots of lenses that he could buy, you know, pretty inexpensively that are really sturdy and would certainly cover, um, you know, his film format, I think, is 1 to 2.4 uh, aspect ratio. So that's something like 24 by 58 uh, millimeters. And so I got into designing a whole new back uh, that's uh, panoramic 35 millimeter. And so I built um, here, see if you can hear it. That's the ratchet uh, winder, which winds in one direction and disengages for rewind. And then it's got, um, you know, a frame counter with a lockout so that the frame counter will lock between frames and push a button to unlock it, much like a Graflex or a Mamiya 
uh, RB uh, bot uh, back. And so you can, you know, wind 180 degrees and it'll wind a full, uh, you know, 65 millimeters, which is a 58 millimeter frame plus spacing. Nice. And then, um, it'll count the frames and you push the button uh, to release the frame counter between each wind. And then um, you can disengage uh, this, I would say, uh, transfer clutch that I built so that you can rewind the film back into the can and don't have to, you know, lose a ton of film doing that. And um, I have the first prototype on my desk right now in my hand, actually. Um, it's, you know, it took uh, maybe a week and a half to get the point where um, it's semi-functional. Um, I have most of the pieces for the second prototype in a box, which I will get to um, that, you know, I just, basically my process is I will think of a camera, make some hand sketches, make a CAD model, print that CAD model, and then put it together. And in this case, I took five pages of notes of each of the tolerances and clearances that needed to be changed or, or um, you know, shapes that needed to be changed in this first prototype as I was assembling it, and then printed out the second and sort of everything will hopefully, and it seems to be working all right, uh, just move much smoother, right? I'm never going to make a buttery smooth like a wind, but, um, you know, I might make something out of plastic that's way more durable and, and usefully smooth. So, you know, I don't, uh, I don't have like a release date yet. Um, I won't set any of that until I have like a working production prototype. I don't like selling things that are not, you know, done and, and, uh, sort of put to bed, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. I think, um, the panoramic options on the market are really, really expensive and, um, not very durable. Um, and I think, this will be a good solution for that. All right, cool. Yeah, Nick, what, are you, what have you been working on? Uh, so mostly I've been playing with this homunculus. Um, it, that's been the primary thing that I've been doing for the last month or so. Um, and now I'm testing. So I'm shooting the camera with a lot of different uh, lenses and films com combinations just to see how it works. And um see if there's any little last details that might be improved before uh, we get the final version. Um, so that's really all I've been doing from a photography point of view, pretty much. I have been playing a little bit more with digital stuff because it's quick and easy when you're busy with other things. Uh, and that's been kind of interesting because it's such a contrast. Um, <laughs> it's like going completely the other way. I have this Fuji uh, digital camera, which is an, a newer iteration. I've been using a f five year old one for a long time. And this thing has a lot of technical stuff in it that I barely even know is there that I've, I've started fooling around a little bit, um, with that. Uh, so that's kind of going all the way in the other direction, um, with, uh, things like operating a camera from, you know, with a phone from a distance and, you know, things like that, that I never really sure. played with before. Sure. Um, and it, and it's not encouraging me to do more of that stuff, actually, I, I'm not actually enjoying all that complicated stuff. I just sort of feel like I ought to understand it since it's there. <laughs> right, right. So what I've been doing lately is uh, putting together uh, a darkroom. Uh, I got the enlarger from Nick. In fact, the last time we were recording a show, it was delivered while I was talking. Um, I had to build, it came without a um a filter tray a multi-grade filter tray 
So I had to 3D print in a um, uh, an element that sits between the light and condenser, and the um, and and the uh, what do you call it the uh, negative carrier. Um, I also found uh, it it comes with a a very strange system that allows you to. Um, mask off areas they're like these slider masks so that you could um uh you, you know if if there was if you wanted to print something that was square or you wanted to print eight by ten it's got these slider masks that are part of the negative carrier but the problem was that the negative carrier that i had was only for 135 and i want to do uh it, it'll go up to six by six actually i think it'll go up to to seven by seven um, wow. but it is, um, uh, it, I mean, that's what the enlarger will do. Um, the, the thing is that it only had that 135 negative carrier and I started looking around for, um, you know, a six by six negative carrier and I came across the, the, uh, glass, uh, and okay. So here's the other thing is the negative carrier is, has several components to it. Um, the negative carrier itself, you only need the one main negative carrier and it'll do all the sizes, but then you get these little masks that slide in. Um, and what I found was they made some, uh, glass negative carriers and the glass negative carriers are, um, six by, <clears throat> are more than six by six wide and, so using the sliding masks and this glass negative carrier that has a um, uh, any Newton ring uh, element on, you know, you put that on top and uh, it is um, uh, now I can do bigger than six by six. But, uh, you know, it's not much bigger than six by six. But well, I can that's do still if, it's, if you can six. do six by seven, that's great because. Right. Right. That, that's a really nice format. It uses the full. It's pretty close to the same aspect ratio as the paper, the print paper. So it's efficient right. in that way. Right. And then and also just those RB67 backs are one of your best, you know, options for homemade medium format right. cameras. So yeah, I, that's great. I'm also kind of figuring out, um, uh, you know, I've got to do a bunch of experiments, but I'm figuring that I can actually print um the six by 12 negatives that I get out of the Holga WPC, uh, you know, the wide pinhole camera, um, and print them on two, two separate pieces of paper and then, uh, adhere them together. Uh, so that's one of the things that I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to playing around with a little bit. Um, on eBay, um, what do you guys know about out of date, uh, enlarging paper? Um, hmm. uh, well, I have a big box of it that I haven't tried yet. That's what I know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ethan, have you ever used out of date uh, printing paper? Exclusively. Exclusively. Okay. Yeah, so, you don't want to buy it when it's uh, advertised out of the out of the dark bag and and photographed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> no, I got a 250 sheet box of Kodak medium weight RC multi grade f surface which is the glossy surface um and i'm i'm not sure i mean it was there for several days for 15 dollars 
wow. plus ten dollars shipping and handling for two hundred fifty sheets. So that comes down to ten cents a sheet. That's great. Um, uh, am I am I a fool for buying that? I, I no, it sounds, it sounds great. Like, yeah, you'll find out if it's fogged or not. <laughs> right, but if it's not, it's exactly. probably fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I. Well, I mean, the whole idea is that the the slower the film, the longer the shelf life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's the reason why we can use technical pan in and uh, panatomic X and stuff like that. Um, so I just assume with an ISO of one to three, you know, paper should be fine. So anyway, so I got that. Um, so, uh, let me see. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I had to three, 3d print and it goes between, you know, the, the, the lamp housing separates, um, uh, between the condenser and the negative carrier. So I stuck a, um, uh, a a filter um carrier in there that took a little bit that took a lot of trimming one print a lot of trimming uh but but i've got that working uh so so far so uh i'm looking forward to doing that um closer to the end of july we get the more opportunity i'll have to print with that um oh i have a question while we're on on this topic um have you either of you had any experience with expired slide film? Uh, let's say four or five years, uh, maybe 10 years expired, 10 to 15 years expired, but mostly in a refrigerator and then maybe in a slightly warmer, cool storage. Awesome. Yeah, so it's not like super it's bad, totally but it's fine. Yeah. Okay. So that that that's really good news because uh yeah, i wouldn't do like a, art reproduction with it you know yeah but, no um, well someone just gave me a whole bunch it. of um a whole bunch of large format slide film and, and it's something it. i never would have bought yeah you, shoot you, it at box speed great that's really good news um, so, how yeah. you know and but then um uh, here here's some experience that i have uh i've talked about it a couple of times uh i bought 18 100 foot rolls of film uh maybe three years ago (laughs) and then and then sold off about half of it that means that my film cost is zero Mm -hmm. uh you know it came you know i i I sold out it and i paid oh by the way i paid 180 bucks for 18 cans so it was 10 bucks a can um I know. Yeah, I, I'm I, I I've never seen anything like it. And I was lucky enough to get it in. There was two rolls of Agfa Agfa Chrome 100 RS. And it, and all this stuff was advertised as having been frozen. And um, the and I was trying to get technical pan. Uh, there was technical pan in there and I got three three cans of technical pan. Um so uh, I sold one of those off um, and I kept one of them and I've been shooting it and I'll be posting on Instagram this week uh, some images from it and it it shoots like the day it was made. Nice. Um, so and oh, uh, expiration 1985. Whoa. So wow. so I'm going to guarantee you that shit was frozen, you know. Um, I, I just simply because of the experience, not because I had any experience with it before that. Um, well, I've, I've had print film that was very disappointing that yeah. had obviously been so, stored, you know, in someone's attic in a, in a 
hot part of the country. But yeah. but uh, but I'm pretty optimistic about this. And it's going to be interesting because I never would have embarked on a major episode of shooting large format slide film. It just wouldn't have occurred to me. I have a feeling it's oh, going to be. Oh, this is four by five? And eight by ten. Oh, my God. Uh, okay. I know. It's it's insane. Um, yeah. And, well, your deal is about like my deal. You and know? these are these are mostly unopened boxes, so I don't expect uh. fogging or anything. Yeah. So it's it's pretty exciting. Uh, and I think scanning it ought to be pretty easy, too. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that, well, that's Nick, that's going to be will... my next year is going to be putting four by five Velvia in the Tamerdactyl OG and running around clicking away which i never wow. never would have done under any other circumstances maybe i'll trade you for a box uh do you need a kidney yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> i'll put it in the freezer just in case yeah there we go yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah okay um yeah um yeah those the these are some guy deals mm-hmm. you know uh and and the some guy deal is some guy came in and bought a leica for five bucks that's a some guy deal Right. Um, and, you know, and uh, no, this yeah. is this is a, a real, just a nice guy deal. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So uh, they're nice to stumble along. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Hey, what about shout outs? You guys have any shout outs? Or a book or anything? Uh, the Sound of Crickets. Well, you have the so the, the big shout out is really for you to talk about. And that's the uh, the the zine that we're. I guess okay, we're at that, final day up. of that, the final that, day of of sending in stuff has passed. So how many people have sent in okay, uh, yeah, homemade cameras for the zine? Uh, okay, so oh my, I think it's fifteen. Did I uh, fourteen or fifteen? Uh, I'll go ahead and read the names of people. Now some people have submitted more than one option, and um, so uh, and some of these things are really cool really really cool i and uh well they're all really cool but some of them are you're gonna just be absolutely astounded so uh matt beckberger um and he did a he has turned in a lensed six i think a six by 18 pano camera um and uh and a, a modified four by five um uh linhoff technica um, and I want to point out that the 6x18 camera, uh, it, it, today is, we're recording on July 1st. The deadline was June 30th. He turned it in on June 30th at 11.23. So, <laughs> so just under the wire, but my God, I'm really happy to get that in there. Uh, Jonas uh, Lundstrom, uh, Colmatorn, and what's his other name? Uh, come on, you guys know Jonas's. He's, yeah, uh, I know uh, who you're talking about. I don't remember all of his yeah. any names. Oh, I can't think of it. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, he has the back, which is barely a camera. BAC, barely a camera. He asked me. <laughs> he he said, "I've submitted the BAC. What do you think it stands for?" And I wrote back, "I hope I hope it's big ass camera, but it's no, it's barely a camera." So we'll, and I think um, I didn't get a chance to, and none of these I've really had a chance to look at. So if I misrepresent them here, uh, uh, I'll clarify it later on. But uh, the barely a camera, I think, is a lumen box uh, that he was working with that really got me doing lumen boxes along um, uh, 
uh, along with Nicole Small, who also submitted, and I'll talk about hers in a moment. Uh, Alex Purcell, um, he did, he sent in Big Muff, which is a four by five box camera. Uh, St. John Fuller, he submitted the Strange Box. And believe me, the Strange Box is one of the most beautiful pieces of wood and design that I've that I've seen. Uh, Lucas Landers, and he goes by Cropped Camera. Is that right? Cropped? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram, uh, he has the Mini View, which is a view camera that is about the size of a penny. Um, and wow. that's a U.S. penny, not like a British penny. I've British. seen a picture of that thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the B35, which is the machined rangefinder that he has been uh developing over the last several months and he's showing the you know uh that uh process and he also included an instant press um so uh we'll we'll take a look at that nick um has submitted uh nick lyle my co-host he put in five of them we might pair this down but no you're not um, no 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 <laughs> no, okay. I'm going to put it together, Nick. Uh, and I've I've submitted any of mine, and uh, but I'm so, the one I'm the one with the amazing amazing slide film. That's right. Oh, there we go. <laughs> a little okay. a little backsheesh may be called for here. There, there we go. Um, so an RB67 pano back from Mercury, a Mercury with a, a 90 millimeter super angulon. His pin bad deluxe. Pin Blad, Blad. Blad, Pin Blad Deluxe. <laughs> no, Pin Blad. Pin Blad, that's a name for you. You should make a yeah. camera called the Pin Bad. Pin and bad. also, I think someone needs to design something based on the, ter- the the name Popeye as well. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. And the Pop, we already talked about it, the, the Pop. Uh, the Lomo Lander, Lomoite Lander, what's that one? Moit Lander, yeah, yeah. Lightlander, low Lightlander. Uh, oh, that's your um, your six by twelve camera with the with a Schneider lens you put on it. Is that no, right? No, no, it's a it's a 1930s Voitar lens. Voitar. So that's the Lander part thing. Yeah. So and, if you want to cut one, you can cut that one out. Yeah, and, and then uh, a Crown graphic field camera with a. Is this the one with the six by eight? Fuji front? No, that's um, just a conversion of a of a mildewed, hopelessly mildewed crown graphic into okay. a film. Yeah. Um, uh, Masumi Yamamuro, uh, who is Surgeon Twenty Four Hours, his pinhole box, which is really nice. Manuel Leon or Manuel Le- Lion? Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna guess it's Manuel Leon. Um, the blue box and i looked at that and uh oh it's it's a camera uh that has uh it's a box camera that he built that has um several different um uh lenses on different lens boards including it looks like a whole camera is one of the things that he puts on a lens board tony kemplin uh who is photony I think that's right. Is he Tony Kemplin, the photo Tony? Uh, blender camera. Um, and I believe that that's a five-hole pinhole. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicole Small um, uh, submitted her Beastie camera. 
Uh, Eben Otsby put in a camera that he calls the mysterious camera. Uh, Sandeha Lynch, um, a garden camera that's just, it's a beautiful thing, is an absolutely beautiful thing. Thad Thad Matthews, and I hope it's Thad and not Tad, and I'm not pronouncing your name incorrectly. The Poland Stacks. Now, this thing, this thing uses like wire to hold the lens on. Uh, Beautiful thing. Uh, J.M. Mendiza, a G-pin. Philip Lenrick, uh, the, and he did homemade emulsions. Mm. Um, and it, so it's going to be homemade photo emulsions on, uh, on glass plates. Dale Willits um, turned in a pinhole folder camera that he refers to as the Fast. Neil Piper, actually, I'm going to say Neil Piper has the best name of all the cameras, Foamy McFoamboard. And uh, so uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to, to really explore, uh, exploring that. And Dom, Dominic Silverthorne, um, Pinhole Dom, uh, he does uh, an open back pinhole. Now, he has um, some uh, cameras for sale that are absolutely beautiful creations. And this is, I think, a pro. Oh, just lost you. Yeah, I think Graham is gone for a second. We're still the here, piece right? Of oh, wood. Hold it. Hold on, Graham. The... Graham. Yeah, I know. You dropped yeah, out I for dropped, a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I dropped out, but I'm the one recording, so I continue. <laughs> so, so okay. So this is Dominic Silverthorne's um, camera. He show starts with the with the plank, the piece of wood. And he made this absolutely beautiful, beautiful camera out of it. So, um, yeah. So uh, what I'm trying to tell you guys is uh, this is going to be a great zine. Now, the plan is we are going to have a um, uh, we're going to have a downloadable electronic version for just a a few dollars. I think two dollars and 50 cents is a good price. Um, and then we will, um, I've been talked into exploring the possibility of a print on demand version for, and and so I'll do a layout for the screen and then I'll do another layout for, um, uh, for a print version and we'll do it as a print on demand and hopefully it won't be that, um, that expensive, um, but, uh, we'll, we'll have more of that. Um, the release date will be, um, uh, August 1st. And so I've got a month of designing and, uh, clarifying and spell checking and proofreading and, uh, all that type of stuff, um, uh, ahead of me. So, so that is going to be the coolest thing in the world. I think uh, I have, I think I have the name for your, uh, press for your printed version it should and what's be that caffeinol table press ha <laughs> table press <laughs> or caffeinol table books there you go there we go um yeah there we go that's actually really good that's a smart one i'm a, we might use that we might use that. So I have one other shout out. As I said, I was uh, on vacation in North Carolina. Um, I live in Florida where, as far as I can tell, there is one 
uh, camera store and um, and it's mostly new cameras and stuff like that. I stopped by in Asheville, North Carolina. I stopped by at Ball Photo. Uh, Ball Photo is out on Tunnel Road in Asheville. If you are wanting to visit a camera store the way a camera store should be, I highly recommend going to Ball Photo. Um, it is um, uh, it, it is really nice. I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, the you know camera stores back okay uh what's the Wayne's world we're gonna go back in time okay so we're gonna go back in time uh Ethan what year were you born uh 1984 ah crap okay so we're gonna go back to the time of of Ethan's birth he probably has more memory of this since he uh spent time in New York but we're going to go back to the time of Ethan's birth. Nick, you remember it. I graduated from high school in yeah. 83. Just yeah. so we're really I remember clear. Ethan, I remember Ethan's birth clearly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I had I had already been shooting film for 10 years at that point. I was just a little homunculus. <laughs> That's right. You, you well in 83 you were a homunculus. So <laughs> yeah. um so the idea is um we uh you would go into a camera store and they would have maybe six cases of cameras. I'm going to say an average, what I know, average Midwestern uh, store. They'll have six cases of cameras. They'll have one case of new stuff. Or, like, they'll have a case of Nikon. They'll have a case of Canon. They'll have a case of Pentax. But then over in the used section, they would have maybe three cases of cameras. Um, they'll have the um, the medium format stuff up on a shelf behind them. Um, uh, but you know, those, you know, three to four cases of used cameras would have maybe 20 cameras per case. Right. Well, uh, when I walked into ball photo, they had, uh, I'm going to guess about seven cases. Not only was every freaking inch inside of at least three shelves filled with stuff, but then the tops of all of those cases were are filled with cameras. Um, you could do a school photo lab with the K1000s that they have in that. Well, so there's a store like that in Seattle, the Shadow sure Film is. Store. I'm sure there is. And, Michael, and here's the hey, deal. Hey, what, what you, <laughs> what's going on riches? is... With what, your riches, I'm talking about my rarity. Now, now down listen, what, what you're witnessing is the, the terminal expression of gas. So oh. if... You reach a certain point, you either have to open a store or right. a debtor's prison, right? So, yeah. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I was drinking, as you said, debtor's prison, and I just about sent that through my nose. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. So, anyway, uh, my my point is, uh, you know, and, and then I said, um, you know, I was talking about uh, this in larger a couple of minutes ago. I needed an 80 millimeter uh, or I said a 75 or an 80 he said, he said, okay, what brands do you like? And I said, Schneider, <laughs> you know, and, and he said, okay, I'll be back in a minute. And he's, he's gone for three or four minutes and I'm thinking, oh, he's forgotten about me. He's answered a phone call. He's done. He comes back with like eight, eight in larger lenses. And, and they had to be the 25 millimeter opening rather than the 36 millimeter opening, which is way more common. And, um, 
you know, and and he came back with six or eight of them, and he says, well, how about this one? And I look at it, and it's a beautiful 80-millimeter Schneider that, you know, it looks like the day it was born, and 15 bucks, you know? And, uh, my God, I'm I'm going to move to Asheville just for that. And the beer. Oh, my God, the beer was pretty good, too. <laughs> um, so... So anyway, um, uh, I just a big shout out for uh, Ball Photo in Asheville. If you want to visit a a, a store, uh, a camera store somewhere in the southeast of the United States, take the drive, uh, go there, eat someplace fantastic downtown, um, and um, yeah, and buy some art, and then go home uh, with a whole bunch of stuff from Ball Photo. Uh, oh, here's one other thing. I'm going to tell you one other thing. I bought, um, they had four by five, the Fidelity four by five holders. Uh, I bought three more. They were 10 bucks a piece, which I thought was a screaming deal. Um, and uh, I got back to the place where we were staying. Um, and I opened one up to, you know, just to look at it. And it had film in it. So I threw it in a dart bag took the film out of all three holders and I've developed one and it's a really nice product shot of a Kashi uh, cereal box. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to what else we'll have, you know, maybe we'll have the rest of the complete breakfast. Uh, <laughs> of the other ones. But, it, you know, and it kind of makes me wonder, you know, you, he, he or she took the shot and then did they, you know, was this like an insurance shot and yes. they delivered, um, you know, they got the good shot and turned it in and it was a, it was a, you know, commercial advertising. It was on black and white film. Right. You're not going to waste developer if you've already got your shot. Yeah. Right. Right. But wouldn't you think you would take it out of the holder? Um, you you uh, never know, you know. Right. That- could have been the last photo the person ever took. Who knows? Yeah, that was the other thing I was thinking, you know, could have died and then, you mm-hmm. know, never delivered the, the project. Right. You know? In the in the saddle, as it were. Right. Oh I have God. a I, I have a, a half filled uh, pack of four by five Tri-X. You know, it was one of those like, what are they? 15 shot packs they used to sell um, right. in, in the special holder. I've got one that's only got four shots left. Or so, and I'm assuming the rest of the shots are probably still in there. So wow. see what okay. those are. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's something else. When I, uh, the 250 sheet box of Kodak paper, uh, the, uh, there was a note, there was a four by five um, uh, sheet film box that was included in there. And it said, um, here's a bonus. And, and you know, so I t- took it into the dark bag and took one sheet out just to look at it. Because it looked to me, you know, there was like a listing of how many sheets had been taken out and it ended up at zero. Um, so I didn't think that this was unshot film. And sure, and so I took one out and looked at it in the light. Sure enough, it was somebody somebody's uh, Christmas pictures and um, the date on the film on the box was 1950. Nice. So, uh, right, right, exactly. So uh, I got a bunch of a bunch of stuff from that. So uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, it sounds uh, exciting. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. So a- any other shout outs? Anything else we want to say? No. I'm okay. Good. Thank Robbie. Yeah, thanks, Robbie Cribs, for uh, writing and creating the, the music we use throughout our show. And you can find Robbie's work um, at, I forget, uh, let me think. Studio. Soundtrap Studios, that's yep. where, yeah. 